Rejoice is our uh, title today. Philippians 4, 4 to 13 is our text. Um, for uh, four weeks now, well, this is the fourth week, we've been studying Philippians. We've been looking at that. This is a letter that Paul sent to the church at Philippi when he was in prison, probably in Rome, though not for sure, but probably while he was in Rome. Uh, the people there were mostly, uh, in Philippi, were mostly non-Jewish, and most of the opposition to the gospel in that city came from others who were not Jewish as well, uh, and those who then had a pagan background. That was the opposition most common in that city. Um, Paul knew that they would have a hard time in you know, in those who oppose the gospel. It was a different message, a different thing to believe. So he knew that they would have a hard time. He wanted to encourage them, both from his understanding of who Christ is and also from his own experiences in serving God and bringing the gospel to people. Uh, three weeks ago, we considered how the focus for Paul's life, no matter what was going on, and a focus that he wants to encourage in others, uh, no matter what was going on, whether good or bad, is, in, is Christ. That's the focus of his life. When looked at in this perspective, he told us that even being in prison was a good thing because it served to advance the gospel as he was in prison for preaching the gospel. We learned from Paul that if we are alive in this world, we are here to bring the good news of Jesus. That's our purpose. In that sense, to live is Christ because it is all focused around him. That's what life is. To die then, he said, is gain because if we die, we are fully in Christ. The focus is Christ, whether we live or whether we die. That's where the focus of our life is. The following Sunday, we saw how being grounded in Christ produces a view in us that works towards unity with other believers. We are united with others, and we humbly look to others' needs rather than primarily our own. That's the guidance of, the, of Christ in our lives. It does that. It does that work in us. As we do this, this stands out in the world in a world that is so twisted away from God's will, from God's word, this behavior that he produces in us stands out in a good way. Last week we saw how, contrary to some, some teachers who would say something needs to be done in a person's life, um, other than faith in Christ, for them to be saved, Paul says that anything that we might hold on to as a credit to us, Anything that might say something good about us or earn us anything uh, towards salvation really has no value. There is nothing that can do that. And then he states that what has real value is being found in Christ. So the focus is coming back again to Christ as the center. We are found in Christ through his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. We are baptized into his death, as we see in Romans. We are united with him, being made like him in his death, as he brings us into his, his death, his family. And then, and then through that, we receive the benefits of resurrection, new life, which begins already in us, in this life. This change that happens in us 
does not clear our life of problems. We acknowledge that. We all acknowledge that, right? To the contrary, we find that as followers of Christ, we share in suffering from the world. We also don't simply wait for the resurrection at the end of time. We do nothing to earn salvation, but the fact of the presence of Christ in our lives and the reality of salvation that is already ours, produces these produce a change in us. And so we make an effort to live not to earn a new life and resurrection, but we live like what God has already made us to be. In all of these things, we find that the center and the focus of all of this is uh, Christ. As Paul describes this all for us, he says to follow his example. He gives the example of a few others as well that we can, that we can follow, people who do this well. He contrasts, in the verses leading up to our text today, he contrasts those who follow God and follow well to those um, who have no time for the message of the gospel. For those who pay no attention to it, there really is no hope for them if that's the way that they stay, if that's the condition that they stay in. Their end is destruction if that's how they continue through the end. But the, antip- but the anticipation is the opposite for us. In fact, it is, it is a glorious ending for us. We are not citizens of this earth. Already now, we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. And we look forward to a time at the end where everything is finally, fully under God's rule and we are transformed to have glorious bodies to match Jesus' resurrected body. In light of that promise, that's where we're coming up to today. This is guiding us into what we have today. In light of that promise, Paul encourages us to stand firm because of the promises that we have. And then... And that then leads us to his encouragement that we find in our text today. After a brief encouragement that he gives to a couple individuals in particular to work well together, um, we have today's text, and he has an encouragement for us in today's text. Uh, Philippians 4, 4 to 13 is our text this morning. I'll invite you to stand as you are able as I read that. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13, reading in Jesus' name. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that you, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content 
in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us this morning. Thank you for the encouragement that Paul gives to these believers in Philippi to rejoice no matter the circumstances. And I thank you that this encouragement is to us as well. And uh, thank you that um, you, through Paul, have given us uh, the, the reason and the way in which we can in which we can do that. And so as we consider that this morning, I ask that you would guide our hearts and our minds uh, to receive what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. I want to invite any kids that would like to to come up this morning, up to the front here. Come on up, guys. Find a seat. Come on up. All right. Hey, how are you doing this morning? How are you feeling? Are you feeling pretty good? Yeah. yeah? yeah. Feeling pretty good? Yeah. You got, you're feeling pretty good too? Ezra, are you feeling pretty good? You guys over here, are you feeling pretty good? Your body's feeling pretty good? Your mind's not too, too foggy or anything this morning? You're doing okay? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. We learned about that this morning, didn't we, in Sunday school? Yeah, you guys didn't hear us. God still loves us no matter where we are, even if we're still bad. He still, even if we're bad, He still loves us. Hey, these guys are teaching me the lesson this morning. This is good. Is He, is He, I didn't quite catch that. Is He with us? Does He love us? He cares for us? Yeah. Until sick? Sick. Oh, I need help here. No? He's asking for help. Not quite understanding. Well, here, I've got something for you. Let me ask you. I am going to ask you about sick. That's different than what you were trying to tell me. But has anybody ever woken up in the morning and you have been sick? No. Never? You guys are always just healthy? You did. You have been sick in the morning? You have? A long time. Ago. Wow, that's that's great that you haven't been sick yeah, in a long, long time. Yeah. What about what about you guys? Have you ever been sick? Have you ever been hurt? You've gotten hurt. Yeah. Do you think that you could be happy? <laughs> well, should we? T- okay, I've got a band aid on my finger. You got one there. Look at that. Hey, do you think that you could be happy even if you're sick or even if you're hurting? Do you think you could? Did you guys hear a word in the text this morning? It said rejoice. Do you know what that means? Do you know what rejoice means? Kind of like be happy, right? What was another? There was another word that was content. Do you guys know what that means? Content. Be content. It's also kind of like be happy. So we're going to listen for how we can be happy even if... Guys, what what do I have here? You guys see? That guy looks sick, doesn't he? That's a, that kid looks sick, right? We're going to listen for how we can be happy even if we're sick or if things are going really, really bad. Okay, do you think there's a way? Let's listen to see how that might be. Okay, here you go. Do you want to hand those ones out here? Do you want to hand those out? All right, thanks for coming up, guys. <laughs> yeah, you guys can go back to your seats. You guys, you got, you got it all figured out? 
All right. Yeah, that's pretty good. They're starting to teach me uh, the lesson here. Well, that word, rejoice. Rejoice. You know, the first part of our text, that first verse might be familiar to you, for some of you at least. It might be familiar in the form of a song. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Um, I was going to see, you know, should I ask Charlene to lead us in that? You know, you could just rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, we don't need to do that. You know, here's the problem. We could sing that in a round. Have you ever done that before? You remember singing that in a round? We have three sections. We could do that. The problem is, as I remember it, singing that, is that you never know who's supposed to stop first, right? When do you stop? You just keep on going around. We could be here till tomorrow just singing that if we started. So we're not going to do that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Or, or the way it says it here, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. That's how Paul starts this, this out. Paul's going to say a very similar th- thing in several ways as we go through our text. He's, but he starts out by saying, Rejoice. Rejoice might not be a word that we use really often. I don't use it a lot. I don't tell people to rejoice <laughs> a lot. I don't say I'm rejoicing today. I don't, I don't use that. Um, when I hear the word rejoice, I think about being joyful. Being joyful, but also about something else. That there's about saying something, about words coming out. I'm happy and there's a little bit of excitement about it and you're saying something about your excitement. That's kind of what comes to my mind as I think about um, rejoice. If you have sung that song um, in a round, as I mentioned, Rejoice in the Lord Always, maybe the words get to be a little too familiar. Um, and so you just, we can just sing it sometimes. Sometimes that happens with the song, even, even a really good song. Uh, but think about what Paul is saying when he says, Rejoice in the Lord Always. He's intended enough about this thought that he says it again. He repeats it. How could we rejoice in the Lord always? Um, you know, how, how can we do that? What is the way that we do that? You know, always covers a lot of, of circumstances. In fact, I would say all of the circumstances, right? Always covers when we get a new job, uh, that, a, a job that we anticipate enjoying. It covers that. When we find the house that we're, that we're looking for at a price that works, it includes that. When we see our kids growing up and maturing, it includes that. When we get to visit family that lives far away, that's part of always. It also covers when we lost the job. It covers when we're, when we're not so healthy, when we get sick. Always covers that. It covers when a loved one dies. That's part of always. When we get, uh, when, when we're disgruntled with our family. Maybe maybe we find we have to visit family instead of get to visit family. You know, it covers that too. How do we rejoice in the Lord always? As a starting point, we might want to consider what we've observed as a theme in this letter, living with Christ as the center of our as the center of our life. That's a starting point. We live life in the reality of the forgiveness of sins. We have the relationship with a Father who loves us and the promise of eternal life. Practically speaking, as we think about this, it's not simply a a matter of knowing that and then all of a sudden that solves everything, right? We can't just say, oh, I know God has saved me and so now everything is great. Even the bad things are great. It doesn't just work that way, right? When we're in the middle of things, we need something else to bring that to mind. So Paul gives us some practical ideas of how we can get through any time, even when that doesn't naturally come to us. 
First of all, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, this is an interesting statement to go right here, uh, but it kind of goes along with rejoicing. It's a little bit, we might say it's a little bit different idea, but it goes along with rejoicing. An attitude of rejoicing gives us a kindness and a gentleness toward other people. So Paul is encouraging us to have that demeanor towards others. I'm pretty sure he wants that to be true, even around people who are strangers to us. You know, sometimes it might not be easy. It might be easier not to worry about um, if we get the other person upset. You know, we're, not, we're maybe not quite so worried about getting somebody else upset if they're strangers and we don't know them. Maybe we're in a hurry and we can get a little gruff with somebody. Uh, you know, maybe it's the person behind the counter that's serving us because because uh, we don't we don't know them. And uh, we, don't, we know that the relationship, we don't have a relationship that continues with them. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in that circumstance where maybe you, you, maybe you didn't act quite how you wanted, and then you see them later and you find, oh, I have to interact with them again. <laughs> Hopefully we've never had that type of an, of an interaction, right, with someone. Uh, but Paul says, let your gentleness to be evident to all. Even if we don't see any long-term consequence of, consequences of not being gentle, And the reason why we should do that and the reason why we can do that are both related. The Lord is near. The Lord is near in that he is living inside of us. So this is how we can live that way. And also part of the motivation for living that way. And also the fact that the Lord is near moves us into the next verse, which starts to get at how we can rejoice always. The Lord is near. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Um, Would any of you be ready to raise your hand if I asked how many uh, find it easy to follow that exhortation, to never be anxious about anything? I don't know if there's anybody, maybe you're willing to say, yeah, I can not be anxious about anything. But but, uh, again, the reason why we can follow that and the source for being able to follow that are the same thing. Because the Lord is near, as we just saw. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be anxious. Instead, in every situation, we can bring our requests to God. It's not some magically not being anxious. It's bringing our requests to God by prayer and petition, Paul says, and significantly with thanksgiving. What does thanksgiving do as we come to God with thanksgiving? Well, first of all, it reminds us that the Lord is near, right? As we come to Him with thanksgiving, we acknowledge all the things that He has done. We recognize that when we bring our requests To him, it is not out of a blind hope or wishful thinking that he might be able to do something. It is a recognition that he is the one who keeps promises. It is a recognition as we give thanks to him that he is the one to go to because of what he has already done. Now, it's my habit, and you may have noticed this, to begin as I pray, to begin by thanking God. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a way that you have to do it, that your first words in a prayer need to be a a word of thanksgiving. It has become my habit. 
And I do, ha- I do find it helpful for myself in encouraging thankfulness in myself. And because it is my habit, I find myself sometimes in an interesting situation where I start a prayer, as is my habit, by saying thank you, and I realize I haven't quite yet thought about what it is I'm thankful for. And I'm thinking about that at the moment, right? What is it I'm thankful for? But because that's my habit, having that habit of beginning with thank thank you to God, um, whether I've thought about it yet or not, it makes me think about it. And I find that's a good thing for me, at least. Another way to begin our prayers is by praising God, which is maybe related but not exactly the same thing as thanking Him. And maybe some of you begin in that way, by praising Him for who He is. Now, the order in which we say these things doesn't particularly matter. I'm not saying, again, that you must begin with thanksgiving. Um, But it doesn't matter the order as we simply remember what God has done for us. And this encouragement from Paul is important as we move into the next verse, which is not given in isolation. The practice of bringing our request to God, thanking him for what he has done and who he is, is the context for the wonderful promise in the next verse. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the things that I've mentioned already as a theme here in Philippians is the focus on being in Christ. As we bring our requests in Jesus' name, as we are thankful for what God has done, beginning with Christ, He is the center. He is our focus. And He is the source of peace that really does go beyond our understanding. How is it that we could not be anxious about anything? Well, if that does become a possibility for us, it is in Christ. Because in Christ, God guards our hearts and our minds not to need to be anxious. So we may need to come back often to Him to be guarded and have our hearts and our minds guarded in that way. This is a life of habit. It's talking about a life of habit, not a one-time fix everything, right, of coming to him. There may be times in our life where we need to follow what Paul says here very consciously, multiple times a day or even multiple times an hour. If things are really bad, going back to thanking God, to bringing our requests to him. We may need to do that very frequently at some times. Now, there are other practices in our life that can help us uh, be thankful and rejoice. Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable. Now, before we finish this list, it goes a little bit further. Let's consider what we have so far. What things are true and noble? What things are right and pure. Let's contrast this with, this is kind of a a time of reflection. You can reflect on that question and also reflect on the contrast of those things that are the opposite. What things are false? What things are dishonorable? What do we contrast with being right and pure? Things that are not quite right things, that are not quite pure, Even, even just not quite the opposite, just a little bit less. Something is 
is uh, impacting them, making them not quite right or pure. Paul talks about things that are lovely and admirable. What do we think about in our world that is lovely and admirable? What things are not lovely and admirable? We might even think about our own thoughts and our own attitudes. And some of them can be lovely and admirable, and some of them can be actually pretty ugly. Even our own thoughts can be, right? So Paul finishes the list. He says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about what he's saying here. Where might this exhortation from Paul impact us today? I mean, one place we could obviously go is in our entertainment, right? What, where do we go for our entertainment? I think, uh, for, for the most part, uh, you know, we, we all might pretty easily eliminate the worst that's out there. We might just say, no, that's not good for us. We don't go there. What about things that aren't so bad? We might be entertained by things that aren't really all that great, but we justify it by saying that, well, it won't affect us. You know, we can, we can enjoy that and kind of weed out the bad and it won't really have an impact on us. Now, of course, there are no perfect options. You know, out of all the things that we can watch or read or listen to, there are no perfect options. We live in a sinful world. And so I'm not going to give you a guideline of, of what should be our entertainment, but what I hope we do what I think Paul wants us to do, what I think God wants us to do, speaking through Paul, is to think about it. Is to think about it. Consider whether it's good for us and not simply assume that it won't impact us. Just consider it, right? Whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How does that affect our entertainment? How does that affect our speech, our conversation, the things that we talk about? Are the things that we talk about things that do not fulfill the characteristics of what Paul is saying? What are, what about our attitudes towards things, towards life? Do we dwell on the negative? Do we harbor envy? Do we harbor ill will towards others? As we follow Paul's advice here and think about things that are lovely and admirable, those things that are right and true and pure, those, those are the things of God. Those are the things of Christ. In a world where we can't avoid, we can't avoid the broken and the ugly, have a, having a focus on how Christ impacts the broken and the ugly can guide us in what he has for us. And using Paul's example that he has led the Philippians in, he says that following these things is another way that God brings his peace to us. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. Because we bring our concerns to God, he gives us peace. As we focus our minds around the lovely things that God has made and that God has remade, he gives us peace. And with peace, God gives us the ability to rejoice. So Paul gets back now to the rejoice theme. I rejoiced greatly, so he's talking about his rejoicing, I, rejo I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul has received help from them, from these believers in Philippi. That's what he's talking about. He's rejoicing on their behalf, 
that God is working in them in such a way that they are committed to serving him financially as he preaches the gospel. Now, he's not primarily rejoicing that his own needs are met. He says that. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So it's not because he's gotten what he needs from them, but because he sees God working in them. As he talks about them renewing their concern for him, it's not that they had lapsed for a time to be concerned for him, for a time of not being concerned, but they didn't have the ability to show it. They needed somebody to be able to take money to Paul. It wasn't like they could just do a bank transfer, money wire, or something like that. They needed somebody to physically take money to him. And no one was available, apparently, for a time. Now, at this time, there was someone available who could take it. And Paul has received it with gladness because he is hearing a good report about them and sees how God is working through them. And as Paul has been encouraged, and as he has been encouraging us to follow his example, we notice him talking about being content in all circumstances. Before, he talked about rejoicing always. And Paul gives us another angle here from which to see the things in life so that we can rejoice in all things at all times and so that we can be content in all circumstances. Paul emphasizes here that he has the experience, the broad experience necessary, that he can give this instruction from personal knowledge and experience. This is what he says. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He has both both, both extremes, both cases. He knows what those are. I don't know what your experience is in life. Maybe you've had more of one than the other. Paul has the experience. And, and Paul's not going to in, encourage people to live a particular way that he has not himself experienced. He's experienced the hard times. He's experienced the good times financially when it comes to provisions. So if you're considering what Paul has to say to us today, remember that he has that experience. And this is what he has to say about it. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He's learned the secret. As we think about being content here this morning, as we consider that, maybe we can say, We can be content in any situation. Maybe the fact that we're even here this morning means that there is is reason enough to be content right now. Maybe, you know, maybe if you weren't content, you wouldn't be here this morning. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. But maybe if we put ourselves in those situations in our mind right now, let's, let's think about those situations where it is hard to be content. Maybe think back to the previous week. Are there times in the previous week where it was hard to be content? Maybe there was something that didn't go as planned, and in the moment, it's hard to be content. Right now, it's kind of on pause over the weekend, but I'm in the middle of trying to get a computer working that, um, that's been sitting around here unused for several years and has only had people that are not here log into it, so I need to kind of redo everything on that. So I've been in the, in the middle of that, and it's not cooperating with me. It's not cooperating with me at all. And so I get this message, as I get this message from this Mac, which is produced by Apple, that it can't verify the trustworthiness of a program that was also produced by Apple. I will admit, it's hard to be content. 
that I can't find the good answers. Don't tell me that. You know, I'm talking to the computer, you know, as if it understands me. Don't tell me that. You know, now that's an example of annoying. It's not really a, a particularly, uh, it's not a part, an example of particularly painful experience. That's an example of annoying. But you may have an example of something that's more painful, in the middle of which it's hard to be content. Maybe you know in your mind that you can say, I can be content. Maybe your mind says that. But when you're in the middle of something, it's really hard to be content. That's, that's normal. So what is the secret that Paul says to being content in every situation? The secret is in the last verse of our text today. And you may have noticed as we read it earlier if you thought about this, that this verse is often used to refer to many different things. Anything in life where there's a difficulty, where we want to accomplish something, um, even if it's just a goal that we want to accomplish, this verse might be applied in that place. Now, we can't necessarily say that the ideas being communicated in that way are not true, but we can say that that isn't the point of this verse. In context, the original context for this upcoming verse, maybe you're waiting, ah, Danny, I forgot what that was. Well, it's coming up. I'll read it. But the original context of this verse that's coming up is knowing the secret of being content in every and any situation. And here it is. Here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can be content. Can I be content? Can I rejoice in all things? Paul says, I can be content through him who gives me strength. The strength to be content. I can rejoice at all times through him who gives me the strength to do it. That does not mean, as Paul already made clear, that everything will always go our way. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. But we can be content because of the one who gives us the strength to be content. It all comes back to Christ. It all comes back to Him and what He has done for us. He has experienced, Christ has experienced even more thoroughly than Paul and knows even more thoroughly than Paul everything that we may go through in life. And He is with us in it. That is what makes it so that we can be content. That is what makes it so that we can rejoice. We conclude today our time in Philippians. Next week, we move on to 1 Thessalonians. We have found in Philippians the secret of being content, of, in the last few weeks, of finding real value, of working together in harmony and standing out in the world in a good way, and in rejoicing as we see God working good, even though what, may be outward, what we see outwardly may be bad. The secret is all in Christ. As we thank him today for what he has done for us, we bring our requests to him, not least of which is the request that he would work in us a spirit of rejoicing and contentment, and through that spirit that he would give us peace. We can rejoice as we rest in the promise that came in our text today. A word of truth, really. The Lord is near. 
Even in this ugly world around us, he is right with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. We thank you for this gift of peace that we can have through Jesus and what he has done for us. And that through that gift of peace, we can rejoice and be content in every and any situation. Thank you that that is true. And we ask that as often as we may need it, every day, every hour even, if we need the reminder that you would remind us of that promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.